In this portion of WGTD's morning show, we are connecting with Colin O'Mara, who is president and CEO of the National Wildlife Federation. We're going to talk briefly about the overall work and mission of the National Wildlife Federation, and then we're going to be talking about uh, the advocacy which they are doing on behalf of of certain tenants that are part of the uh, Build Back uh, Better Act that is currently being considered on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., a reconciliation process involving the infrastructure package, and they are concerned in particular about several what they are calling climate-forward provisions that they think are uh, very, very important and that they hope uh, will remain in place through this process. And uh, we're going to be talking through some of those uh, tenants that uh, they are concerned about. Colin O'Mara, we welcome you to the morning show. Greg, thanks for having me on today. How long have you been with the National Wildlife Federation? Uh, it's been almost six years. I'm too young to say that. But <laughs> I started about, I, I had served as Natural Resource Secretary in the state of Delaware for a while beforehand. And uh, I was a Ranger Rick kid growing up. So when the, uh, the headhunter called, I, just, I, couldn't turn, I couldn't pass it down. It's the opportunity to serve the Federation. I can see how that would uh, fold nicely into some of your, your interests. Give our listeners some sense of the overall mission of the National Wildlife Federation. Yeah, so the, the National Wildlife Federation's goal is to, to unite all Americans to make sure wildlife can thrive in our, our rapidly changing world. And um, we, are, we are a true federation. We have affiliates in all 50 states, and Wisconsin is the great Wisconsin Wildlife Federation. Um, and, and our goal is to bring people together, you know, kind of across party lines, across regions, to say that there's an important place for nature, there's an important place for you know, clean air and clean water and healthy habitats, and that you know when we save wildlife, we, we save ourselves. And that you know whether you love to go hunting and fishing or just you know like to spend our time spend time outdoors, hiking or gardening or or, or canoeing or kayaking, um, that that there's that it's important that we have healthy natural resources for the benefit of all people. What would be the primary ways in which the National Wildlife Federation goes about uh, working? Uh, uh, towards those goals? Yeah, so we, we do a combination of, of advocacy work. So we'll do work in in, you know, in, the, in Congress and the administration and state capitals and city halls across the country. And um, we do a lot of habitat restoration work on the ground, um, you know, so trying to you know, restore things like the Great Lakes and, and, and the incredible you know, lake country in, in Wisconsin. Um, and then we also do a lot of schools. Uh, we're in more than 15,000 schools where we provide curriculum, support teachers, um, in some cases, um, you know, have our, our great, uh, we call our, call our eco-schools program um, and our, our Ranger Rick curricula um, as a way to get more, more youth exposed to, exposed to the outdoors, exposed to nature, and hopefully have it be a way that they can you know, retain a little bit more as they're learning science, technology, engineering, and math. So it's really a bunch of different fronts where we try to advance our mission. And what is the relationship between the national office, if you will, the national organization, and uh, its various affiliates in the 50 states? So, so the uh, the affiliates are independent organizations, um, but we kind of come together. I, I joke with some folks, it's a little like NATO, where we will come together, trying to find common ground. Um, you know, sometimes to uh, to play defense if there's things that we're concerned about, or or to try to advance uh, you know, policies that we think are necessary. And so, you know, one of the great partnerships right now is um, trying to secure more uh, additional federal funding for the recovery of, of, of species uh, at the state level. And so trying to have have more resources available. You know, we do a pretty good job in this country funding the species we hunt and fish. 
um, we don't spend quite as much on the rest of the rest of the wildlife. You know, whether that's you know pollinators like bees or you know monarch butterflies or songbirds, uh, a whole range of a whole range of aquatic species that aren't aren't fished as well. And so we're we're working together on like a bill called the Recovering America's Wildlife Act. Um, that'll you know the state voices are incredibly important. Um, where we kind of come together, kind of in that in that collective effort to try to move big things at the at the national and federal level. You mentioned the fact that uh, this is an organization that strives to reach across party lines. How difficult is it to do that, uh, to function in that fashion, given kind of the the overall political climate of our country, which is so sharply divided? Uh, Do you find that, by and large, this is an area of concern in which that kind of bipartisan work and cooperation uh, is possible? Yeah, I mean, the, the last few years have, have shown that, you know, conservation kind of investments um, in, in natural resources can be pretty bipartisan. I mean, there, there's big disagreements. I won't I'll kind of pretend there aren't on, on some of the regulatory pieces and, um, you know, things that uh, um, different federal agencies are doing or state agencies. But I think on the investment side, um, we have seen this great level of bipartisanship. Last year, there was a bill called the Great American Outdoors Act, and you know, it's fully and it's fully and permanently funded the the Land and Water Conservation Fund, which is like the primary program to create you know, state parks and expand you know, national parks and national refuges, national wildlife refuges. Um, and it also it also uh, funded about you know, about uh, almost ten billion dollars worth of uh, deferred maintenance in our in our national parks and national wildlife refuges and and our our BLM lands out west uh, and our Forest Service lands and. And it was it was completely bipartisan. Uh, it was one of the kind of the big kind of historic wins, um, you know. And it was, you know, equally supported by Republicans and Democrats. It was signed in law by President Trump. Um, and so there's, there's these moments, right? I mean, there's you know, there's not agreement on you know, the best way to um, address climate change on the regulatory side. I mean, there's not agreement on some other issues. But you know, I think you know, like the the wildlife bill I mentioned, the Recovering America's Wildlife Act, is completely bipartisan. It's got 14 Senate Republicans and 14 Senate Democrats. There's something about, you know, kind of the, the outdoors, you know, our, our wildlife, our parks, that can still bring people together despite the incredibly fractured politics that, uh, unfortunately, the reality right now in Washington. One thing I read on your website, that is uh, the National Wildlife Federation's website, which is nwf.org, is that uh, you are very proud of the relationships that you have fostered with a plethora of valuable partners uh, the, the website makes reference to some 2,500 different organizations with which the uh, NWF uh, cooperates and collaborates. Uh, can you help us understand uh, what kind of organizations are valuable partners uh, in the work that you do? Yeah, so one of the one of the things that uh, I've I've been I'm just constantly blown away by is the quality of you know, nonprofit organizations across the country that are trying to do this work. And, you know, some are focused on an individual stream in a community. Some are focused on, you know, big regional ecosystems. Some are focused on you know, certain edu- education programs. Um, some are trying, you know, trying to address, you know, longstanding in, in, you know, environmental challenges in communities. And, and what, what we often try to do is try to find, um, try to provide linkages between you know, different groups be working on the same issue in the same region um, and try to build power that way. And you know, a great example of that is something called the Healing Our Waters Coalition. 
um, which is a coalition of hundreds of, of groups across the Great Lakes. So bringing together folks from, you know, from Erie, Pennsylvania, all the way all the way over to uh, to Minnesota, um, and obviously Wisconsin's got a, a big piece of this of this puzzle as well. Um, trying to trying to find places, but trying to have folks um, working together to advocate for bigger regional solutions. Um, and there's there's something called the Great Lakes Restoration Initiative. That was started, I guess, during the Obama administration. Uh, it started actually teed up during kind of the Bush administration and kind of enacted during the Obama administration. But these hundreds of groups, you know, came together, working across the region, working with businesses, working with le- local elected officials, um, trying to make the case that the Great Lakes was worthy of uh, dedicated investment, the kind of specific investment to try to do restoration projects. And you know, in one place maybe Asian carp, in some place else it might be you know, algal blooms, in some place else maybe zebra mussels. I mean, different kinds of projects. Um, but you know, trying to lift up um, groups that individually, you know, would have a hard time moving the you know, kind of the needle in, in Congress. But together, they have incredible power. And so, you know, we just try to be a convener and, and really try to show, you know, kind of connect, really kind of connect dots and show how different groups, you know, by working together, that we get, you know, we get further. And there's that, that great proverb that, you know, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And we really try to live by that, by you know, kind of a servant leadership model. We can you know, help bring groups together and then lift up their voices in D.C. to do big things together. Mm-hmm. For those of you just joining us, I'm speaking with Colin O'Mara. He is president and CEO of the National Wildlife Federation. We're going to be talking now about some provisions uh, in the infrastructure bill, uh, in the Build Back Better Act, that uh, relate to climate and uh, and thus relate to some of the central concerns of the National Wildlife Federation. Uh, Mr. O'Mara, maybe we can just begin with that, first of all, that uh, that there is a connection there that probably some people might not fully appreciate or be aware of between climate and wildlife. Uh, how is it that an organization devoted to wildlife is concerned about climate? What is the connection there? And right now, I mean, about one third of all wildlife species in the U.S. are at heightened risk of extinction, and it's you know it's primarily, um, like I said, species we don't hunt and fish, and a, a large part of it is habitat loss. You know, we've we've built millions of miles of roads, and we've you know bisected habitat and, and kind of degraded it for different different reasons. You know, just as the populations you know exploded over the, over the last half century. Um, but we're also seeing, you know, pretty big changes on the on the ground, on the landscape. And you know, for folks, you know, for, for those of your listeners that are, you know, that are in farming or, you know, other types of outdoor um, outdoor activities, outdoor industries, um, you know, I think most folks would acknowledge that things are changing pretty quickly on the landscape. And so, you know, wildlife, just like people, are affected by things like drought, um, things like, you know, kind of extreme weather events, whether that's in you know, greater levels of precipitation or hurricanes in the southeast or you know flooding in the midwest or, or you know the horrific fires that we're seeing in the in the far west and you know species are dynamic um you know they can they can adapt to a lot of changes but as we're seeing you know kind of big temperature swings um in some cases we're seeing you know less water available because of, of drought conditions um in some cases we're seeing these horrific fires that are are really altering the ecosystems and fire is natural um uh, but the, the the fires that we're seeing um, are, are horrific in some ways. You know, so hot that they're burning you know, habitat to a, to a crisp to the point where there's you know, very little to grow back and have that kind of natural succession that we often see. Um, and so the, the implications for wildlife are pretty significant. And when you layer on top, uh, you know, warmer temperatures leading to 
you know, greater populations of, you know, mosquitoes or, you know, other, other species that can be somewhat predatory, um, in their, in their nature. Um, the implications of wildlife are, are pretty dramatic. And so, you know, we often, often say that, you know, when we save wildlife, we save ourselves. And so the same things that are good for, for us to try to mitigate the, the impacts of these more extreme swings that we're seeing, um, are also going to be beneficial to the wildlife that we all care about. I was intrigued by the term climate forward uh, that you are uh, coming out in favor of several climate forward provisions of the package. Uh, can you just take us inside that terminology of climate forward? Sure. So the, the idea is to, uh, there's that great Wayne Gretzky quote about, you know, he, and, you know, one of the reasons that he's you know, the greatest is that uh, he talked about skating where the puck was going as opposed to where it was. And, you know, one of the things that we're seeing um, as we're trying to reduce emissions is that, you know, laying a foundation that encourages the private sector and and companies and and, and governments to make investments that are are looking looking forward, you know, 10, 20, 30 years um, is one of the most cost-effective and ecologically effective ways to, to combat climate change. And so, you know, one of the things that we're, we're, we've been focused really heavily on is that a lot of the climate conversations of the past were, were fairly regulatory um, in the solution set. And you know, we've been advocating for several years that uh, an a incredibly effective strategy would be to focus on, on investments um, and really trying to you know, leverage private capital, um, really trying to you know, move markets, uh, kind, of pulling, kind of pulling forward, kind of pulling into the future um, by, by incentivizing this kind of great action all, all across the country because I'm convinced when you know, America puts its mind to, to something, um, there's no, there's no stopping us, and we've seen this you know repeatedly throughout our history. And so, in the Build Back Better plan, you know, we've been kind of encouraging these types of you know climate forward investments that that would really try to unleash just un, un, unbelievable amounts of innovation and entrepreneurship and and action and construction, also creating you know millions of construction jobs. You know, um, all across the country as a way to mobilize. And, you know, there's some precedent, right? We, when you look at, you know, the mobilization around World War II, when you look at, you know, kind of the build-out of the, of the middle class after in the, in the 1950s, you know, there was, there's these kind of very visionary, you know, goals and, 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 um, and you know, objectives that were set, but there was also, you know, a significant amount of investment to try to, to, try to make that vision a reality or trying to replicate those successes here. Hmm. One of the proposals that uh, you are in support of involves one facet of our energy world that I don't think a lot of us give much thought to, namely transmission lines. And, uh, and apparently one possible provision of the Build Back Better Act will be tax credits that will support investment uh, in, in upgrading and expanding uh, transmission lines uh, in in the, in the United States. Transmission lines for energy. Describe what these transmission lines are, and and why there is upgrading that needs to happen, in your opinion. Yeah, yeah I appreciate the question. I mean, I think right now there's you know as, as much as thirty percent of the electricity we generate you know from a you know, a, a power plant or a renewable energy system um, can be lost along from the point where it's kind of from the point where it's generated to the point it winds up in, in your home or your or your business um, because we just have an old system. Um, it's it's very inefficient, and um, it's 
it, it can be a lot smarter. Um, it can, you know, we're going to need to increase capacity too as we're, you know, increasing uh, generation of, of electricity for things like you know, electric vehicles and and other and other uses. But you know, we, we have a, we have a system that uh, repeatedly fails um, in different parts of the country. We we see it in, you know, in the west when things get too hot. We've had issues with. You know, transformers uh, actually melting in some cases. I mean, like the, the the rubber kind of protective systems melting, causing shorts. Um, and a lot of this, a lot of the infrastructure at this point is 50, 60, 70 years old. And so this idea of both modernizing the the grid so it's smarter, so you can dispatch energy more efficiently, so you reduce the the losses, um, so you can kind of get power where it needs to be, um, and also having it connected to the the system, the the energy production of the future. Um, a lot of the infrastructures, uh, and it's unfortunately, um, kind of in places where it's, it's maybe not as necessary as, as in some places where there's been more population growth. Um, but it's a way to really kind of move into the 21st century uh, and and make sure that we have clean, affordable, reliable energy for everyone uh, in in the country. And so, trying to incentivize that is a uh, is an important way to do it. And it's part of a bigger part of a bigger suite of investments. You know, we're trying to also make sure that. Investments, of course, in things like solar and wind are are, are prioritized, but also things like geothermal energy, um, both for heating and cooling, as well as potentially some generation. Um, things like energy efficiency. We can you know we can save a lot of money if we are just more efficient with our appliances, our lighting, our heating and cooling. Um, we can reduce a lot of pollution and save money at the same time. Um, you know, we're also trying to make sure that you know, that there's kind of next generation technologies around like carbon capture. Um, this idea of capturing carbon that's coming off you know, fossil fuel plants or manufacturing facilities before it goes into the atmosphere. Um, so you keep our, you know, kind of our strong manufacturing base, but you're also um, reducing the, the pollution from those facilities. You know, also, things, also things like energy storage. Um, you know, right now, you know, some of the renewable energy sources are a little more intermittent than like a coal plant or a fossil fuel plant. And so you need to be able to store power, you know, say from a, from a solar system, you know, store power that you, that you generate during the day so you can use the power you know, at night across this smarter grid. And so there's, you know, there's a lot of different uh, pieces that we're, that we're pretty excited about that we think that you know, by using really strategic incentives um, that we can spur more innovation and more investment than you would if it was strictly a, a regulatory approach. Hmm. You've anticipated one of my questions, which was when it comes to this matter of, of energy storage. And again, just to be clear, we're talking about something like uh, wind power or solar power where uh, it doesn't necessarily work around the clock, and so you need to have the capacity to store the energy that has been generated so then you can utilize it when you need to, when the sun goes down or the wind dies down or whatever. Uh, uh, do we have the technology for the kind of energy storage that we need, or, or when we're talking about investment in energy storage, uh, is it about developing new technologies around energy storage so we can accomplish this uh, better, or is it just a matter of, of expanding what already exists? Yeah, it, it's a little bit of both. Um, there's, there's some technologies that are, are readily available, are kind of commercially available right now. Um, you know, I, I'd like to see some, some greater innovation in the space to, to get to scale um, so we can have you know, solutions that are, are kind of at the, at the utility scale or at kind of the, the grid level. You know, I mean, a lot of, some folks, you know, have, you know, different types of storage units. If they have solar systems, I mean, there's smaller battery kind of technologies that we have right now. And you know, a lot of the, are they really hybrid cars like the Prius or, or some of the electric vehicles have storage you know, capacity inside their, inside their batteries as a way to 
kind of dispatch power when you need it. Um, and so, like, those technologies have been around for many years. I think what we're working on now is trying to get to, like, the next level of, you know, kind of utility scale. So when you're talking about, you know, projects of, you know, tens, tens or even hundreds of megawatts of, of clean energy, you know, that could power, you know, tens of thousands of homes or hundreds of thousands of homes, having the storage capacity for, for that. And, you know, we worked really hard in a, in a bipartisan way a few years ago just trying to, again, provide additional incentives for the deployment of these technologies. Because one of the concerns that you know, we, we hear from, from time to time is that you know, the, re, the renewable energy sources like, like solar and wind and, and geothermal aren't as reliable as some of the base load, whether that's nuclear or, or um, natural gas or, or, or coal-fired plants. And, uh, you know, and there's, 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 a truth, there's some truth to that, right? I mean, you know, the sun obviously generates a lot more during the day than you know, not, not doesn't generate at night. And so the solution there is having both you know, kind of smart grid as well as storage. Um, and so as we're working to, to reduce emissions from our from the fossil fuel um, power plants, we're also you know, bringing more and more renewables online. And we think it's that that mix of having you know, as, as clean as possible on the renewables and on, on the fossil fuel side, combined with renewables that are backed up by storage, is going to be the way we have to achieve the three goals: of having you know, cleaner. Uh, more reliable and and cheaper energy in the uh, in the future. Hmm. Finally, I want to ask you about uh, the matter of clean manufacturing, and I think maybe a couple of the matters that you've already mentioned uh, probably kind of fall under that umbrella or are to some extent related to it. But what else needs to be done in terms of making our manufacturing sector? Uh, uh, a sort of cleaner operating uh, function. Yeah, it, this is this is I think the, the, one of the most important uh, facets of the, of the climate debate right now because I, I do think in the past we haven't focused enough on making sure we're, we're making things in America and and you have, you have great manufacturers all across the state of Wisconsin, you know that are in this in different supply chains and, and you know, in different industries. Um, you know, right now about twenty one percent of all emissions come from the industrial sector. Um, that's largely you know, steel mills, um, cement plants, uh, folks that are making things like aluminum or different kinds of plastics or, you know, kind of products from petrochemicals. And, you know, frankly, I mean, I want those things made in America. I'm, I'm tired of buying goods from China. You know, we saw the consequences of you know, having China control so many of the supply chains during the pandemic when we couldn't get protective equipment. Um, you know, and I'm tired of our dollars going overseas. And so there's a real effort right now to try to have, you know, more domestic manufacturing, um, but let's, you know, do it in cleaner ways. At the same time, you know, we're seeing you know, countries like China invest a lot in renewable energy manufacturing. And so, you know, we want to make sure that, you know, we provide the incentives and the business conditions to try to have more of that manufacturing here. You know, I don't want to spend the next, you know, 30 years buying, you know, solar panels from China or, I don't know, electric vehicles from Japan or, you know, offshore wind turbines or, you know, wind turbines from Germany. Um, you know, I want as much of that made here in America as possible. And so there's kind of two sets of incentives. Um, there's one, it's, it's Section 40C of the tax code, everything the federal government is so complicated. <laughs> there's a whole different language down there, uh, down, in the, down in the swamp. But the, um, this idea would be to try to really incentivize the manufacturing of clean energy technologies here um, by providing incentives um, that would reduce the cost of new facilities and new equipment. Um, as really a way to encourage more, more investment here at home. Um, and then there's a complementary set of investments that would help underwrite the, the cost of pollution controls. So if folks wanted to try to have you know, carbon capture technologies or really a whole suite of technologies that would do 
amount of pollution going in the air, um, they could actually get compensated for the, the tons of pollution that they save. Um, and this would allow plants, you know, in, in Wisconsin or in, you know, in you know, places like northern Indiana or, or in, um, you know, in Illinois that, you know, could really compete. Um, with some of their their global competitors, and, and right now, I mean, it's just not a level playing field, right? I mean, so many American manufacturers manufacture their goods that with, with much less pollution than we're seeing from, you know, factories in China or India or, you know, other places around the world, um, and yet, you know, they're competing in the same marketplace. Hmm. So, you know, they're, they're often paying better wages. They're, you know, they're meeting better environmental standards. Yet, they're still trying to sell in a, you know, kind of in a, in a global market. And so, you know, we've been encouraging. Um, the, the both the Trump administration and the Biden administration to take a look at leveling that playing field also with imports. Um, just make let your, let, letting American manufacturers compete. And, you know, it may be funny for you know, a wildlife guy to be talking about <laughs> talking about the economics of all this, but you know I feel strongly that you know we can do it better and cleaner um, here in the U.S. and that the pollution we see coming from other parts of the world um, could frankly be reduced if we you know held folks. Um, accountable for the, the pollution they're having and having to meet similar standards to what we're, we're meeting in the U.S. And so you know, there's a lot of job opportunities. I mean, like the, 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 the energy economy globally is, you know, in the, in the tens of trillions of dollars. And so there's huge opportunities for, for businesses to, you know, be innovating or manufacturing or constructing or deploying or operating these systems. I mean, we, we, we anticipate there could be you know, tens of millions of jobs created in the in the years ahead. You know, I, and I just want to make sure they're made here. I'm not just sending you know harder money here overseas to, to buy knockoff goods that aren't usually of the same quality hmm. as things that are made in America. If any of our listeners share your concerns about uh, some of these issues that uh, we've been discussing over the last few minutes, uh, what would you suggest they do? I mean, is this as simple a matter as? Uh, the proverbial call your congressman, or are there other things you would want people to do? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, it really is. I mean, not to <laughs> it's kind of a cliche at this point, but you know, I think you know, calling your member of Congress, um, the, the Wisconsin delegation, matters a lot in this in this conversation. The um, you know, folks like like Tammy Baldwin and and Ron Kind and others um, that you know are, are in the, on the right committees, and then they've all been you know, huge advocates of, of Wisconsin and making sure that there's more jobs and that we make climate investments in, in ways that are smart for the uh, for the both for the economy and the environment that we don't have to choose one over the other. But you know, if, if you're if you've you know, been concerned about the you know the you know some of the, the heat waves and, and you know, drought conditions and you know, some of the flooding we've seen in some parts of the state. Um, if you're, you know, if you're interested in the business opportunities that could come from, you know, the transition to cleaner sources of energy, um, if you're interested in the in the investments around our natural resources um, and trying to, you know, restore you know, these kind of great outdoor systems that, you know, reduce some of those impacts I just talked about, but also just provide, you know, great outdoor places and support a lot of jobs, um, just let them know. Uh, let your let your local member of Congress know that that you know that, that you're supportive of the Build Back Better plan that you want to see strong, you know, kind of common sense climate provisions that are, that are part of that. And that, um, you know, that's important to, to, uh, that's important to you. And I think if you do that, it matters a lot. And it just, it really does make a difference when folks hear from people directly. There's so many, you know, there's so many suits in DC and everything else, you know, walking around, but when they hear from folks back home, that's when it really makes a difference because it shows that it matters to people. Once again, the uh, website for the National Wildlife Federation is nwf.org and their president and CEO, Colin O'Mara. Mr. O'Mara, thank you for joining me today on The Morning Show. Greg, thanks so much for having me.